You're listening to The Dollop. This is a American history podcast. Each week, I read a story to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about on a bi-weekly basis. I left that out. I'm covering it, baby. I got you. You Don't drop it, that. I pick it. Boom, boom, bam. Don't do that. Come on. Team. Tag team. Best friends. We're best friends. Are you recording? Unfortunately. <laughs> Do you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Guerra. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. There's you are there. Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Uh, we are all in the All Things Comedy Network at allthingscomedy.com. Check out the other podcasts. They're all very good. Um, this uh, podcast is also brought to you by our subscribers on Patreon. I want to thank each and every one of you for subscribing. You guys are awesome. Yes. 3200 BC. Whoa. We're going. I think that's our earliest. Before Christ? Yeah, BC. Is that what that means? No. It means Broke cavemen. An Egyptian child was buried with nine pieces of stone set up like pins that a ball was supposed to be rolled toward. What? Bowling. Oh, so they, okay. So he was buried with bowling pins? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. A lot of guys from Wisconsin do the same thing. (laughs) Modern bowling is traced back to ancient Germany where it was a religious ritual. Oh, boy. You would throw a stone at a a kegel. The kegel was supposed to represent uh, a heathen. You'd try to knock down the heathen, and you'd be cleansed if you did. So you threw it at a lady's vagina? Nope. Wait. That's the wrong kind of kegel. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, The kegel evolved into pins. The stone became a ball made of wood. They were anywhere from 3 to 17 pins. Okay. Bowling continued to spread around Europe. In England in 1455, they put roofs over the top of the lanes, and it became an all-weather sport. This led to new surfaces like clay and wood. And in the 1500s, a bowling tournament was held, held in Poland, and the winner was given an ox. <laughs> That's my ox, baby! Yeah, strike! <laughs> in the 16th century, Martin Luther uh, had a bowling lane built for his children. Wow. Yeah. Cribs must have been coming by. <laughs> What's up, MTV Cribs? <laughs> the sport was so popular in England that Henry uh, VIII banned it uh, for everyone but the rich because workers were neglecting their jobs uh, because they kept bowling. Uh, and it's never changed. <laughs> that is so... Uh, that's so messed up, but, that, but we, like... Adhere to the same sort of roots today, guys. We gotta work. Let me, let me, let me just bowl this one frame. I'll just build this one. Work. I gotta. You know what? I was thinking the other day. Only the rich bowl. It feels like the peasants. Also, I should point out that it feels like daggers are going through my feet because I've had so much cream. But it feels like the peasants aren't doing enough of their work. I'm sorry. What was the? I eat such rich foods. Uh-huh. That it feels like someone's shoving icicles through my feet. 
Okay, I would like you to go away. Could you, before you go, could you do me a favor? Mm. Hand me my gravy straw. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is the worst. Uh, don't feel well. But the workers continued to bowl. By the time bowling made its way across the Atlantic to America, it was considered the game of the common man. Yeah. Bowling was brought to America with the colonists. The British bowled on lawns. The Dutch were also into pin bowling. Bowling was first played in America on Manhattan Island. In Europe, there were nine pin games and ten pin games. Both were shaped like diamonds, but Americans played nine pins. In 1733, Bowling Green in New York City was built where a Dutch cattle market had been. It became the city's oldest park that still survives today, called Bowling Green. Interesting. They stuck with it. Yep. That uh, It would be so great, A, to take to time travel Henry VIII to a bowling alley now. It would be the best. And also, it would be a great video to go and f- to bowlers, people who like hang out, what do you call them, bowl rats? I don't know. Uh, people who like bull, hang out bull, and bowl. Bull, bulldogs. Bulldogs. <laughs> to go up to them and be like, do you know the history of this? <laughs> uh, what, it started in the 80s? No, actually, it started when an Egyptian prince was buried with nine pins. Uh, what's that? <laughs> I gotta go. It's my role. Yeah, I gotta get a schlitz. Uh, In the mid-1830s, nine-pin bowling was so popular that, of course, it led to gambling. People were gambling on bowling, and that became a serious problem. So serious that the Connecticut State Legislature banned, quote, the playing of nine pins, whether more or less than nine pins are used. It banned? Wait, what did it ban? It banned bowling. It banned nine-pin bowling? nine pins. Okay. And that also included using more or less than nine pins. So, Dave, I'm not a lawyer. Go ahead. But it sounds like they banned bowling. Yeah, but they just used more words. Right. No, 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 we didn't ban bowling. You just can't use the pins. Yeah, you can throw a ball. You can roll a ball down in an empty cavern all day you want. It's bowling prohibition. Oh, my God. Bowlibition? But there was no... there was no stopping bowling. It, fl- it flooded in with the German immigrants who were flocking to the country, settling in Chicago and Milwaukee and St. Louis and Cincinnati and Detroit. Bowling events became common as the game spread. But there, was no, there were no consistent rules for the game to flourish across the country. Most locals just played each other. Different regional rules kept it from going nationwide. Right? So they can't get yeah. a consistent game going. That, it's that, a different game. And that is st- that's like still a thing. Like, if you go play pool in England, you're like, wait, what do you do? Oh, yeah. Mate, you scratch, you take one up, you get what? another shot. You're like, wait, what the no, fuck? Yeah, any ball in hand, anywhere you like. You're like, no, what's the line now for? Throw, oh, throw that one at Larry. <laughs> throw that one into Larry's pint. Ah, now, now I've got to drink this. Oh, shit. Now Larry's got to drink the cue ball. If he dies, you owe me five quid. <laughs> oh, mate, pint on me. <laughs> uh... So um, that happened. That kept going until 1875. That's when bowling got serious. Delegates from nine bowling clubs in New York started the National Bowling Association, the NBA. Something tells me that those delegates were easy to figure out than the ones we currently use. I would say a lot easier. Unfortunately, the rest of the country wasn't on board with their New York ideas, and even the NBA couldn't agree on the rules themselves. But it was the first attempt to bring cohesion to the game, which is always going to be hard because of the different local rules everywhere. In 1840, the first indoor bowling alley was built in New York City. Knickerbockers was a modern... So it, before that, it was just, it was just like uh, just out 
on the ground. Yeah, you do it out. out. So there's okay. Yeah, it's outside stuff. You're you're rolling on lawns, which isn't crazy, but it is to think of where bowling, like bowling, being like, man, it's gonna get better than this. Oh God, yeah. (laughs) Put a roof on it, like shine it up. Shoes. Put a bar back there. Yeah, have holes in the ball. Whole thing. Right, so Knickerbockers was a modern indoor alley. It was a huge hit. Indoor bowling alleys then began to crop up all over the country. In 1880, the Brunswick Corporation started making bowling balls, pins, and wooden lanes to be installed in taverns. As the 1900s approached, bowling alleys were small, dingy, mostly male-only establishments. Changed, finally. Thank they God were- that shifted. <laughs> There were often no defined rules. The balls had different weights, and the pins were different sizes from club to club. But the more bowling there was, the more gambling and racketeering came with it. It became so associated with crime that nine-pin bowling was banned in several states. What, what, can I ask why, why was nine-pins so specifically... Why was that so attractive to That's the gambler? That's what they played in America as nine-pins. So it's just they're just. So it was just it was basically what they were doing is they were they're banning nine pin right. because that's what the game essentially was. Right. So they're it's just they're outlawing pin. bowling in a way. Right. Right. Well, they're outlawing nine pin. Nine pin bowling, but that was what everyone was using. Right. But they didn't do the more or less language right. like Connecticut. Had. But still, they're like, whatever you're doing, no. So people just added a tenth pin to avoid committing wow, a crime. That is crazy. That that I was just thinking that is so. That's great. That's what I'm saying. Go to a bowling alley right now and be like, you know, it used to be nine pins, but they had to outlaw it because of gambling. That's why they added the tenth. Huh? Later, buddy. Uh, Ten pin was a great loophole to avoid the law. Ten pin bowling became common in most states from New York to Illinois. But still, arguments over what the rules of bowling were continued, though this was mostly New Yorkers against everyone else at this point. (laughs) Then along came... Joe Thumb, who is known as the godfather of modern bowling. Joe owned a restaurant and he loved bowling. He brought together representatives from different regional bowling clubs on September 9, 1895 at Beethoven Hall in New York City. It's basically a bowling sit-down. He's having a bowling commission? A bowling sit-down. Hey, come on, guys. Let's talk this out, all right? In this room, we have some of the greatest bowling minds of all time. Now, Jimmy, you got a problem with what? I don't like the way the ball rolls. Uh, I don't like having three holes or whatever. You got to have three holes. You got to have three holes. Jimmy. All right. I give up three holes. He gives me the uh, olive oil business. <laughs> we can part with the olive oil business. Okay. Three holes it is. Three holes. Uh, we, have, we have an agreement. Yeah. You put your fingers in. Bowling commission reaches agreement. <laughs> The American Bowling Congress was founded, the ABC. <laughs> I bet they have a higher approval rating than these sacks of shit we got sitting in our congressional buildings. Am I right, America? This led to standardized rules and equipment. The game of bowling was finally organized nationally, which helped the sport grow even more. The amount one could score and how many balls one could throw during a game were agreed upon. It's amazing that that wasn't agreed. It only took about 200 years. Eh. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Technology improved. Up until 1904, balls were made of a tropical wood that lasted a decent amount of time but would chip and lose shape. <laughs> then in 1904, a hard rubber ball called the Evertrue was introduced. 
It didn't chip or lose shape, allowing more people to buy a ball that would last. In 1950, the Brunswick Corporation developed a ball using a substance they called mineralize, which they promoted by saying it had a mysterious rubber compound. This was another advancement in ball technology, and the game expanded more. Tournaments were begun in 1901 by the ABC. Jimmy Smith was the first champion. But the ABC was for men only, so women formed their own Congress called the Women's National Bowling Association in 17. Both men and women playing with standardized rule, rules, so the game exploded more. So women were shut out of bowling. Yeah, so they made their own bowling. And it was the same bowling? Yeah, but it's just ladies throwing balls. So that was fine. They're like, boy, they really loopholed us by continuing to bowl. <laughs> you know, the problem, they didn't listen. That's the issue. They're still bowling. Uh, so, in 1913, the Bowler's Journal was founded. It's a magazine. It is still published today. Dear Diary. It's the first bowling magazine. Gentlemen, I think we've made it. I think we're a legitimate sport. Absolutely. we got a magazine now. Absolutely. Oh, you check out page four? Yeah, a bowling pin. It's fucking great. It's crazy. It's a whole, it's a bowling pin. It's a fucking pin. Do you see page nine? You talking about the... the Bowling pin. Bowling pin. Yeah, it's a great picture of a bowling pin on it. It's the number nine pin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why I think it's great that it's a nine. Fucking great pin. Oh, wait. What? Did you see the centerfold? That bowling pin? Jesus Christ. Fuck, I love bowling. I love, I love the stories about them. Yeah. I love knowing. I can't believe how young they are. I love hearing how they fall over. Yeah. I love hearing how they get back up. It's amazing. I think this magazine is really good. <laughs> <laughs> when, when Prohibition came and then the Great Depression, bowling moved from mostly being in taverns to family venues. It was no longer just a dirty, seedy sport. This brought even more women into the game. Bullers started wearing fancy-looking shoes and shirts with their name on them. Wow. That is, so that just kind of organically happened? Well, it's not organic. I mean, it happened because, because bars were shut down. So yeah, but then, putting your name on a shirt is oh, not... Yeah, no, they, were, they, were, they started to make it like a Yeah, so like night. the shoes and the shirt with your name on it. Yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> some psycho was like, hey, look what I did. And some other psycho was like, that's genius. Holy fuck, Bobby has his name on his shirt. And look at his weird shoes. My name's Booby. <laughs> look at Booby's weird shoes. Um, so bowling alleys now would have more than one lane and would be above ground instead of in a basement drinking hall, although a bar was still attached always. Pin boys were used to reset the pins. Oh. <laughs> I, kind of, I think I've seen like footage of pin boys at some oh, point. Fuck. They were teenagers and they would, or kids, and they would sit behind... Or to the side of the pins. After the ball knocked down the pins, they would jump down and remove the down pins or reset them, Ugh. then roll the ball back. It was Ugh. a difficult job, and they were paid per game. Pin boys. Starting in the 1930s, beer We're the pin boys. That's right. You don't want to mess with the pin boys. There's a band called the pin boys. Really? When I was doing research, I was like, oh, look at that. The pin boys. <laughs> Starting in the 1930s, beer leagues began to dominate bowling. Bowlers were recruited by beer companies, and then they played against each other in tournaments. What? Why is that world not around still? <laughs> Hold on, honey. It's Miller Genuine Draft. You want me to bowl for you? Great. Yeah, I can do that. 
The first stars of bowling were born. <laughs> Buzz Fazio bowled for Strohs. What Dick, just happened? Dick Weber bowled for Budweiser. Wait, Dick Weber. Yeah. What year is this? This is the 30s. Because there's a oh Pete Weber is a famous bowler. Yeah, that must Pete be Weber his dad. Is a bowler now. And more technology changed the game. In 1936, an engineer named Fred Schmidt took a bicycle chain, flower pots, and different machine parts and created the first automatic pin spotter. His invention was manufactured by the American Machine and Foundry Company in 1946. Pin boys had been replaced. It's the same thing we have happening with coal That's right exactly now. exactly what's going on with coal. Wait, what? It's the exact same thing with coal. I don't think you know We're getting rid happening. of the pin boys. I don't think you understand and what's happening And because we coal. have now a pin resetter. We're just using less coal. We're not. But, we're not. but what about the jobs? What about yeah, the unemployed? They're losing, they're losing jobs. Bingo. They're becoming unemployed. Pin boys. Okay. This was probably a good thing because pin boys weren't the best. They were usually filthy, street-mouthed kids who were hired by the Fuck your pins! <laughs> and they took a beating doing the job. Their bodies were bruised and broken, and their shins were often bleeding. They must have stood too, too near, and then the pins would hit them. They, well, uh, you know what it is. It's that you're, you're paying them per game. That's what it is. Yeah. If you gave them an hourly rate, they would probably be like, fine. Right. It's the idea that like, if you go crazy, you might make a nickel more that day. Well, yeah, exactly. Uh... When World War II broke out, a lot of the pinboys went off to war. Quite a few bowling alleys had to cut their hours or just close down. But with the invention of the automatic pin sitters, things were looking good again. That's terrible, though. These pinboys go off to the army boys. They come back. They want to be pin men, only to find they've, you know, they've been replaced by a machine and the missus is banging the neighbor. Just sitting there in a, in a, in a foxhole. Oh, Jimmy, I cannot wait. You know what I'm going to do when I get back? What did you do when you was home? I just... I got behind the pins again, you know? That's all they ever wanted to do. So all, when you get back, wanted... you think they're going to have your job for you still? Yeah, man. You know they are. I just, I just wrote the bowling captain. And what about Rebecca? You think she'll still be waiting for you? I can't remember her. How could she turn down a guy who's a pin boy? Boy, I tell you, I wish I had someone. Doesn't matter, man. I'm stuck working in electronics. Boy, that'll probably go nowhere There's fast. plenty of ladies who want a pin boy. I don't really care I about know. Rebecca. Uh, Wish there was a way for me to do something like that. Shut up, you loser. Sitting over here with my huge penis, just working in electronics. Well, I'm never going to end up with nobody. What just happened? The future's dark for this guy. The beer league stars continued to get bigger until eight, until 1948. <laughs> They're like, who? Yeah. Oh, man, what a list. Jimmy Stewart. Until 1948, when the big moment came, the first televised bowling match. What year? 1948. Wow. Called Bowling Headliners aired on ABC. Oh. There's no recording of the event, but that's when it all changed. People saw bowling and they wanted to bowl. It exploded. The pin setting machines were selling faster than they could be made. We were in the middle of a bowling boom. An alley was built in every city, and the sport was perfect for television. Guys like Buzz and Carter went from being live beer tournament stars to TV stars. In 1958, the Professional Bowlers Association was formed, and the Pro Bowlers Tour became the big TV event. Now millions of viewers were watching guys knock down pins on Saturday from their homes. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever watched bowling? Oh, I used to watch it all the time it's with, kind my, of, with is, my grandparents. It is kind of okay to watch. All the time yeah. with my grandparents. Yeah. And with the good side of something comes the bad side, and that's exactly what bowling had. They started in New York in the 1940s, and they were called the Action Bowlers. Hmm. They were mostly Italians from the working class. 
they would go to bowling alleys, bet each other and strangers in bowling matches. 50 lanes going at once, everyone gambling. The matches would kick off at midnight when the regular customers left the alley, and the action would go on till 7 a.m. They would bet two to 300 a game at first, and by the time they became good, they could make 2,000 a game. And these guys were mostly 17 years old. Wait, so they, were they hustlers, or they were just like they hustlers, were hustlers? And they would go against each other. Wow. So just like <laughs> they're action bowlers. You maybe. picture like a cockfight, but instead of cockfighting, it's bowling. Yeah, a lot like that. Right. Nobody dies. These guys were more into action, the gambling, than the actual sport. Though they still had to be good to win, they were often found hustling unsuspecting bowlers. They threw threw 16-pound balls like the pros, but didn't deal with the same rules. That was because guys like Johnny Vargo, who ran the Vargo Classic in New York City, he made the pins harder to knock down by filling them with lead. That made the pins weigh about four pounds and were very bottom-heavy. Some four, s- four pounds. What are they? What they must weigh like a pound now. And they have to throw the ball so hard. I mean, you'd be like, "What? What is going on?" I mean, I really cracked that front one. <laughs> Dunk. My ball shattered. What do I get for a shattering ball? Some pins would seem like they were nailed to the floor. <laughs> they four pounds. And it wasn't just the action bowlers betting against each other. There was also a big crowd of bowlers called uh, the back who would place their bets on who they thought would win. Thousands of dollars would be riding on one match. If you bet and lost but didn't have the money to cover, there were Shylocks there to loan you the cash. Whoa. uh, (laughs) Not a good scene. (laughs) Oh, yeah, let me just borrow money. Cool deal. The big action bowlers wouldn't bowl unless the action was enough. One day, a group of kids approached an action bowler, great Kenny Barber, and asked a ball for 200 bucks. Barbara laughed at him and responded, quote, I don't pick up a ball for less than a grand a game. But a bookie saw what had Sounds happened. Sounds like his heart was still in the game. <laughs> a bookie saw what had happened and offered to put up money for the kids. He had seen one of the kids roll before, and the kid was 17 years old. Oh, boy. From the kid, quote, We bet 1000 and we won. Then 2000 and we won. Then 4000 and we won that game. We kept winning, and Kenny and his guys quit. I just turned 17. I was 145 pounds. That night we left with six grand between us. I had 2,000 in my pocket, and I knew that I was now going to make a living at this for the rest of my life. That kid would go on to be PBA Hall of Famer Larry Lickstein. <laughs> That's amazing. And the rules. Imagine changed. the only thing you've ever really done is bold. Oh my God. That's weird. Could you imagine? It'd be great. And the rules changed with each game. Sometimes the guys would only be allowed to use two fingers. Other times, just their thumb. But just their thumb? Yeah. Well, that's a real weird one. Yeah, where you put it in the hole and you fucking... Yeah, you're just like, ah, my thumb hurts. Sometimes they were blindfolded. What? Guys would throw their balls between their legs or around chairs in the middle of the lane. Whatever they could think of, they were doing. <laughs> They're getting bored. <laughs> they really are. Alleys were everywhere in the city. You'd find a couple in a neighborhood. The biggest was Manhattan Lanes, a 63-lane gigantic bowling alley. One kid who made his way to Manhattan Lanes was Ernie Schlegel. Ernie had flirted with the life of crime, but his German father yelled at him that because no... Because sh- that was Il Schlegel. Stick to the Schlegel activities. <laughs> Don't do anything Il Schlegel. Okay. <laughs> 
uh, his father yelled at him that no Schlegel had ever got in jail. <laughs> Wait, say it again. It's that. a Schlegality. <laughs> Uh, one day his father pulled out a shotgun and pointed at Ernie, yelling, You see this gun? It's got a two-round load. One for each eye. I'll blow your fucking brains out if you ever touch drugs. How great. I mean, how great. That? Why don't they do that anymore? What about that for an anti-drug message? Don't break laws or I'll kill you. <laughs> you fucking animal. <laughs> yeah, I love you, though, son. What did you learn about drugs, Jimmy? Doesn't matter. I'm going to put one between each one of your eyes. <laughs> Little prick. Don't do drugs. Well, Ernie didn't, but Ernie did wear long sleeves to make those he was hustling think he did heroin. He was also missing many of his teeth due to a gum infection he had as a child. Hey, you only playing the part further. <laughs> so that did fit right in. He also had a weird eye. Boy, this guy, he is the ugly gift that keeps on giving. In order to bowl, he had to squint. It's, it really sounds like he didn't need the long sleeves. He really looked like a crazy hobo bowling, and he smelled like one, too, because he'd rub bourbon on himself before a match. Well, who hasn't done that? <laughs> Quote, before I bowled, I had one drink and threw a shot of bourbon on my head or down my neck. Two shots, one for my mouth, one for my body, sir. Go ahead, hit me in the face with one. <laughs> that way, when I got to the bowling alley, I smelled real good. Then I'd bowl guys who were sure I was drunk, and I'd crush them. But even with that, he was the best bowler in New York. And his marks usually didn't realize they were being hustled until they had lost 200 bucks or more. Ernie so soon moved out of his parents' house because he had become such a successful hustler. His roommates would often send him down to the bowling alley when they were out of money. It's just amazing. In one of the more famous matches, Ernie and another man, Johnny Campbell, took on well-known fear team Fats and Deacon. Oh, you don't want to mess with Fats and Deacon. Which one's the skinny one? Deacon. The match lasted 12 hours, and at dawn, they found themselves in a tie. They put all their money in a pile for one last match. Ernie finished the match with three strikes, and they took the money home. Ernie was making a name for himself, and he started hitting the road to find Fish, who didn't know his name. But this was 1962, and it turns out the 50s were a bowling bubble. I made that term up. A bubble? A bubble? <laughs> all of the alley owners couldn't sustain. There were too many bowling alleys. Wow. That Bowl is insane. Yeah. Bowlers weren't loyal to one alley. They'd split time at different alleys. They'd 7-10 split time. Little bowling fun for the kids at home. Oh, I got it. <laughs> bowling alleys began to shut down. The Brunswick Corporation repossessed almost 20,000 pin setters and over 15,000 lanes between 1962 and 1966. The pin boys were like, what does this mean for us? Uh, nothing. You're Guys, still you're useless. Not you're not you're coming back. Oh, come on, mister. I fought in a war. I'm 51 now, and I'm still a pin boy. Look, I can pick him up. I can pick him up. Look. Oh, uh, I'm so tired. There's nothing else I can uh, do. Hold on. Let me reset the pin. There's nothing else I can do. One guy, nicknamed Fish Face, okay. ran an alley in Brooklyn, Brooklyn on that. Get him water. Hurry! He's land drowning! He was called Fish Face because he had so many pockmarks on his face. But he, what about the, not calling him that? Yeah, how about like a nickname coalition? <laughs> no, vi no, Vicious. Rejected. Rejected. We'll call him Fish Face. On the count of his face is gross! 
What about we call him Gross Face? Hey, what about fucking Animal Head? No, no, none of these. Hey, what about a, a, a shit bag of face no, guy? No, no, Hey, how about you fucking animal? No. No, about, come back when you understand the premise of what we're here to do. Okay, how about, uh, you're, what about this, uh, you're a fucking piece of shit face guy? I say we go with it. I really want to get lunch. When... When business took a downturn, Fishface decided to lean into action bowlers. He talked to a pair of bowlers named Mac and Stoop to set up his alley. Hey, Fishface is talking to Mac and Stoop. Yeah, we're worried about fats and that other guy coming. His Deacon? Name is Deacon, yeah. Worried about Deacon and fats. So Fishface is dealing with this. Mac and Stoop set up at the bowling alley to take on all comers. Word got out, and suddenly every wise guy in New York knew about Mac and Stoop. Ready? Bernie Bananas came down. Okay. <laughs> hey, uh... I heard there was gonna be some kind of a match going on. Who are you? Hey, me. It's me. Bernie Bananas. What? Me, Bernie Bananas. Why do they call you Bernie Bananas? Hey, take a banana. <laughs> Don't worry about it, kiddo. Also, I'm fucking crazy. I know you are. Yeah. Why? Because of the bananas? Because of the bananas, mainly. Yeah. And uh, one time I shot a bird. But it's mainly the bananas. I carry a bunch of bananas on me at all times. Also, Freddy the Ox came down. Hey, I got my buddy coming down in a minute. You're going to love him. Why's that? He's a cow. <laughs> And Joe the Kangaroo. Hey, you're gonna also uh, you're gonna want to make a little room when my third friend arrives. Why is that? Well, he's got a baby in his pouch, and he mainly fights with his legs. <laughs> and he's a hopper, right? He doesn't take steps. He never goes backwards either. He's always going forwards, and he has a baby in his pouch, and he hops. <laughs> Joe got his nickname because he would do three hops as he approached the lane. <laughs> One night, Joe the Kangaroo bowled against Freddy, Frankie the Leaper. What? Who, who was like, you're an idol of mine. <laughs> this is an honor. This is a real honor. Frank would fall down after he bowled, then leap up. <laughs> so, okay. All right. So, to be fair, people really wanted nicknames. Oh, uh, really? People really wanted really just wanted nicknames. Them. They also wanted a unique style. That would get them a nickname. So uh, my thing is, I'm going to fall down and jump back up. <laughs> my my name's uh, Dave Pants Down Anthony. <laughs> what do you do? I take my pants down and I bowl and I pull uh, them back up. Oh, uh, that's cool. It's pretty great. That's great. I'm, uh, my name's Tom Punch-A-Lady Strikeman. Jesus, really? Yeah. Every time I bowl... You punch a lady? No, what? Well, I thought that was your nickname. No, that's my real name. Oh, I'm It's sorry. Russian. <laughs> Unbelievable. My apologies to your family. Well, as you should. Bunch of fucking animals. Punch a woman. No, my whole thing is that I drink a glass of water, then I bowl. Nobody's come up with a nickname yet, probably because of that middle name. Waters. Excuse me? Waters. No, no thanks, I just drank. Uh, most of these guys weren't very good and averaged 130, so they needed a gimmick. They were also the cheating bowlers. I'm going to be terrible. <laughs> they were always, I'm going to hoppity, hoppity, hop and roll the ball. Because I suck. I'm going to bring a sailboat down and roll from that. Are they going to say roll, roll, roll your boat? Okay. God. What? I just don't, I don't like anybody anymore. Hey, I get it. I bring a boat here. There were also cheating bowlers like Goldfinger, 
Tommy Sideweight, and One Finger Benny. What the hell? I feel like Tommy Sideweight. He just might like have everyone, knew, everyone knew what his deal was. Tommy Sideweight and Goldfinger would put lead in their bowling balls to give it more of a side weight. <laughs> Extra hey, guys, I'm thinking we should change my nickname because people are starting to ask if I weight my balls. Yeah, I feel like every time I introduce myself to someone, they don't want to bowl against me. Yeah, how about just Tommy Cheats at bowling? <laughs> that works. Uh, extra side weight turned the ball so sharply toward the headpan that it obliterated the pocket in a way no ordinary ball could. <laughs> One night, Goldfinger won four conse- consecutive matches with his loaded ball before the gangsters in back realized what was going on. He's throwing a loaded ball, said one. They took the ball to the pro shop and weighed it. It had nine ounces of extra side weight. They took Goldfinger out on the lane. Okay. One held the bowling ball up over his head and brought it down and smashed Goldfinger's hand with it. Goldfinger never bowled again. Oh, my God. But that didn't stop other guys. There was too much money in the game. Oh, my God. Steve Harris said he would drill a hole in a ball, pour mercury in it, then plug the hole with a liquid that hardened overnight. Did Quote, he understand? Okay, go ahead. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pour it in there. I'll drink some, rub some on my face. It's poison. Hey, yeah, but it's roly poison. Yeah. As the ball rolled, the mercury would shift in the ball and it would go sideways and kill the pins. I would also get lead sinkers from the fishing store and do that, but you couldn't control them. <laughs> so why would you use them? What does he do? What? Sorry, I said lead. It's lead. So he's just have, he just has like a pendulum ball? Uh, yeah, I don't know why he would put lead sinkers in there. The mercury liquid makes more sense to me. Because it's hardened on one side. But What's I also a, think when something like that's going, like it's almost like, like you think like sometimes like if a beach ball has, then again I'm a genius, but uh, like when a beach ball will have like sand pocket in it and you roll that ball, it's almost like as it gets over it like picks up some steam. Again, I don't, I don't think you know anything about what you're talking about. Again, my degree is in theater. <laughs> <laughs> over a short period, Fish Faces Alley became the place to be. Guys came from all over New York City, then from Long Island, then New Jersey, Chicago, Philly, Providence, and Boston. They came to bowl, and they came to bet on bowling. Action bowling became such a thing that some guys were so good, uh, they found they couldn't get anyone to take them on. That led to some guys becoming what were known as dumpers. One dumper was named Iggy Russo. Iggy would bet against himself, then throw the match. Iggy actually was the guy who invented a game called lowball. In lowball, you would try to get the lowest score, but with each throw, you had to hit at least one pin. Wow. We it, sh- I would like to I play that. I would like to play. Yeah, I would like to play that, too. A gutter ball counted as a strike. Iggy often bowled a 20, which meant he clearly wow. had a lot of talent. Lenny the Cane made serious cash when he started working as Iggy's bowling partner. He went from making 55 a week to thousands. Quote, I was bowling pretty good, and out of the crowd at 3 a.m. comes Iggy and asks to be my partner. I said, okay. Iggy walks out at the end of the night with 3,500, and his partner in crime, who was in back betting both ways, made 10 grand. That night, Iggy and his partner made over 12 grand. Wow. One night at Fish Faces, Iggy found himself in a match with another guy. He just lives in an aquarium, right? Fish Faces? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Iggy found himself in a match with another dumper. Both were trying to lose. Problem was, they both had guys betting on them, and at this point, the guys who came 
to fish faces to gamble carried guns. So you have two guys trying to diving. Lose. Yeah, two guys both trying to lose, and then guys and who realizing bet on that them, their lives they've both been bet on by guys who will kill them if they. So you have you're trying to be the worst, and your life is on the line. In the last frame, Iggy had an easy spare to pick up, the old two four five. He knew if he hit it, the guy backing him would shoot him. But the guy backing his opponent, opponent said he would shoot him if he missed the shot. So he was a bit of a pickle. So he did what any hero would do. He picked up his ball, walked to the line, and pretended he was having a heart attack. <laughs> that's my thing. Hey, that's my thing. Heart attack, Harry's in the back. No, 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 buddy. Uh-uh. No, no, no. I'm no, the one who fakes a heart attack. I fake a heart attack every seventh frame, pal. He's got a nickname over here. Come you, on, you dickhead. Know what? You can do a stroke. Have a seizure a... if you must. Yeah, what about a seizure? Come we got on. All kinds of... What about a kidney infection? Be rabid. I don't know. Just don't have heart attacks. Iggy was in his 40s, so he was one of the few action bowlers who could get away with faking a heart attack. An ambulance came, and Iggy was taken away. The fake heart attack worked, for the most part. He didn't get shot, but the two gangsters did set his car on fire. I got to start doing that. Just whenever you're in a predicament, just oh, drop, hold just your chest dro- and drop. <sighs> could really get you out of a lot of a stuff. A lot of shit. Still, Iggy... An audit? Well, I have my receipts are... Ah! 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 Still, Iggy now had a way to get out of a tight spot, and he would have many more heart attacks over his action bowling career. But he really has got to change his diet. He he just keeps going down. Every every week. Uh, But he was the rare old bowler back then. Most of the action bowlers got hooked young, like Johnny Petraglia, who started because some gangsters noticed his skills and told him they would bring some guys to take him on. Johnny would get 10% of the winnings at the time he was 14 years old. Wow. Johnny would just be hanging around on a street corner with his buddies when a Cadillac would roll up. Time to bowl, they'd say. He'd be taken to a match to go up against a guy twice his age. His first fat match, he made $200. Soon he was making thousands. His dad was making $63 a week. <laughs> hey, son, uh, this is a little awkward, but I uh, uh, kind of wanted to take your mom out for a nice steak. And, uh, I, uh, you know, can you just a little money? You're 12. <laughs> You're 12, so nearly just a little over. Yeah, dad. Uh, but there was a coming problem for the best action bowlers. Everyone started to know who they were. Soon, no one would take them up on their offers to bowl. There were no more fish to be had. So the best started looking where the money was now, the PBA. This caused a domino effect as more and more bolted for the PBA. Johnny Petraglia was one of those who did. There was good money in the PBA, but not like action bowling. Action bowling made their blood pump, and the PBA was a step down in the fun category. But one by one, they left action bowling for the legit PBA world. It wasn't the worst. In one match in 1961 on ABC's Make That Spare, Don Carter won $19,000 and a brand new Ford. In 1965, the entire PBA tour was being televised on ABC Sports. Coke and Ford were sponsors from Sports Illustrated. This year, the PBA will put on 38 tournaments and give away more than $1 million in prize money. There were 65 pros, 65 men making a living bowling. Quote, the minimum any one of them makes is 10000 a year. Moreover, 15 of the bowlers are in the 30000 a year bracket, and there are four or five, including Don Carter, the most famous name in bowling, and Harry Smith, who earns up to 75000 annually. These? 
That's a good money for the time. To use it as a comparison, Harry, bowler Harry Smith made more than major, the Major League Baseball MVP and the NFL MVP combined. Wow. Don Carter became the first athlete of any sport in America to get a $1 million endorsement deal. That would be $7.6 million today. A bowling ball maker paid that to Carter to be allowed to put his signature on their bowling ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, you want to, yeah. A yeah, million? I'm signing balls. A million for, to put my, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah. signing balls. Yeah, I'll sign your fucking ball. We signed balls. This was That's not one, legally binding. This was 100 times what Joe, Nathan, Joe Namath got for endorsing Schick Razors. Wow. And Carter was making 100000 from his other bowling activities, which included bowling. He also had an endorsement deal with Miller, Viceroy's, Wonder Bread. Bowling was the sport in America, and he was the real deal. He was voted Bowler of the Year six times, 53, 54, 67. Oh, sorry, 57. I was going to say. 60, 62. By 1965, the hall for winning the PBA Tournament of Champions was $100,000. Across the country, 12,000 PBA-sanctioned bowling alleys were built in the 60s. It was the sport. But guys from the action bowling world brought some flash to the pro league. When Ernie Schlegel hit the league, he called himself the Bicentennial Kid and listed his hometown as USA. Oh, <laughs> Oh, my God. It's like wrestling. <laughs> In the preliminary rounds, Ernie would dress the same as everyone else in slacks and a polo. <laughs> Which says that he's not going to for long. In slacks and a polo shirt. But if he made it to the finals, which were televised, he brought the fashion up a notch. He would wear white slacks and a white shirt with red, white, and blue trim. And on the seams were silver stars. And the sleeves would billow. <laughs> Am I competing against the flag? The PBA had no objections to the flash. Ernie, having come from the action bowler world, thought PBA bowlers were dull, and they should at least have a gimmick. In 1973, he made $22,000 in 30 tournaments. But the 60s turned out to be peak bowling. There were groupies at that time who would pop pros after tournaments. Pop pros? Paw. Paw pros. And casinos gave pros free uh, show tickets to try to get them into the casinos. TV ratings often drew more than baseball and golf. That's crazy. Carmen Salvino, a PBA bowler in the 60s and 70s, said, quote, We were like rock stars. Oh, my God. That is so insane to think. But the sport really started to fade in the 80s. By 1979... ABC slash WIBC membership peaked at a little over $9 million. That was the same year 20th Century Fox released a bowling drama called Dreamer. It starred Tim Mathewson. Tim Mathewson? Uh-huh. Wait, Tim Matheson? Uh, oh, I have Mathewson here. The guy from Animal House. Matheson. Okay. Yeah. They must have corrected it. Uh, the musical score was done by the guy who did Rocky. Wow. He wrote the song Reach for the Top for this film. Oh, gosh. He really, he really liked to condense positivity. Motivational songs. <laughs> a 20th Century Fox publicist, quote, There's never been a big feature about bowling before. The movie's being featured on the cover of all the big bowling magazines. Oh, yeah. You've got Bowlers Monthly 
Any other ones that might exist? Pins. Pins. Rolling. Rolling. Um, uh, uh, splits. Uh, splits. Uh, gutter weekly. Um, the lane. The lane. Uh, uh, fries at the bar. Yeah, fries at the bar. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. And park, those are not invented. Parking lot joint. Uh, parking lot joint. Uh, dry your hand on the weird hand dryer. <laughs> Why is that there? Who had that start? Why do I keep doing it? Why is that? <laughs> Just wipe it on your no. shorts. This is weird. Yep. Okay, here's the plot of the movie. An optimistic young athlete named Dreamer, nicknamed Dreamer, aspires to be a champion bowler. While working in a bowling alley in a small Midwestern town, Dreamer becomes friends with Harry, a cranky former professional bowler who never became a champion player. Recognizing Dreamer's potential, Harry trains the novice for competition. After winning a regional tournament, Dreamer convinces officials to let him enter the national championship. Meanwhile, his girlfriend Karen feels neglected and complains about his devotion to bowling. Oh, man. Although Harry passes away before the championship match... What? Yeah. He dies? Well, Harry, not the... Not oh, the bad... Or the, the, the guy he's going up against. The coach. All right, the coach. I was listening. Okay, ready? Uh, oh, God. Uh, what? Oh, sweet God. Oh, oh sweet God. I don't want to go with you next time. The time I took you, I bowled 146 the first out of the money right in the hole. That's right. Oh, we had fun, remember? If you want to be somebody, you got to choose. Well, maybe this is just a stop in the road for you, but for me, it's the whole thing. Women. Boy, I tell you, it's all star here. Everybody seems to know how to run my life better than I do. A man dreams of winning. A woman dreams of loving. A dreamer dreams of both. Dreamer. Uh, I mean, I am overwhelmed on a couple of levels. Uh, the the movie looks so bad, it's crazy. The whole thing's up on YouTube. Uh, the whole movie. Makes sense that nobody would be like, illegal! Uh, but also, what movie previews used to be? <laughs> that was like, show up! Four eight-second scenes and make sure you introduce everybody. <laughs> what? It wasn't great, but you got the gist of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, as show, far as like... showed him winning the trophy Listen, the if, you're, if you're in that movie, you do dream of better things. Well, Harry passes away before the championship match and Dreamer must overcome a thumb injury and he surprises the veteran players and wins the national trophy. See, see there, that right there is an issue with that movie. When you go to like like a football movie or like a baseball movie or a basketball movie. These are the like leg or arm injuries. These are really Just the idea of a guy being like, do you think I could bowl over your well, thumb? This, this scene where he's at work and he's yeah. hammering something and then he just smashes his thumb. No! Not, not now. No, not now. God damn it. I, told I was you. just starting to dream. I told you not to work, kid. I had to. I told you not to work. I'm probably going to die before the end of this. I'm, and I believe the guy who he goes up against in the final bowling match is Dick Weber. Really? Yeah, the actual Dick Sure, Weber. I'll do it. What the hell is this? The production budget was $2.9 million and marketing costs were $3.9. I thought you were going to say $2.9. million. So that's... A good uh, amount of money. Basically over $6 million. It made less than $1 million in box office. Roger Ebert called it dumb. <laughs> Bowling continued to decline in popularity on TV through the 80s and 90s. The Pro Bowlers Tour was canceled by ABC TV in 1997. It was the first time since 1961 that the tournament finals were not broadcast on network TV. Now it was relegated to cable. 
By 2000, the PBA was in such poor shape that Microsoft employee Chris Peters and two of his coworkers bought it for $5 million. Wow. Peters revamped the website and set up a stream for every PBA tour event live. And he kept pitching the PBA to major networks. I don't know if you guys can hear the sirens, but they're probably going to the fire. No, no, I called. Oh, my bad. Quote from Peter. There was a time that NASCAR was just a bunch of Southerners turning left. We think the PBA can become the next NASCAR. 50 million Americans bull. A good number of them are watching now with no promotion. No major effort in marketing. Oddly, it never took off like Peter thought it would. Hmm. But that's not to say they didn't try to shake it up and modernize it. They added spectacle. They encouraged a more in-your-face style of bowling. What? <laughs> so they encouraged that? Yeah. They were like, we need ratings. Be dicks. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> that's so funny. But that did happen a little bit, right? Now, instead of quietly returning to his seat after bowling a strike, the pro would shake his fists in the air and yell or trash talk at his opponent. They put seating down the sides of the lanes and bands played between matches. <laughs> Almost feels like the sport might not be working for us anymore. <laughs> Just put a band and then actually at the half, have them play another sport entirely. I would watch bowling if a monkey returned the ball. Oof, yeah. Or a pin boy. I'd watch or a pin, pin boys. boy, yeah. Put pin boys in like old 1800 yeah. outfits. Yeah, watch them get all bruised and banged up. Can I get your ball back for you, sir? Yeah, you can, and if you give me any more guff, you'll see the back of this glove. That might sound okay. Yeah. Uh, they even went as far in 2007 to hold the championship in Miller Park, the Brewers wow. baseball stadium. What? They held a... How? They just laid a lane in they the middle built, of Miller Park? They built lanes on the right field grass... And the championship was held in front of 2,712 Oh, that is so... In a giant state. That is so few. That is so sad. That might be the lowest. I mean, even for Brewers games. Oh. You're going to get more than 2,700. Many more. But like that many people come out of Bernie Brewer is going to slide into a beer. (laughs) Bowling championship. 2700. That's just terrible. It's awful. Oh, I mean, it's off. It's, it's so bad you cancel it. <laughs> the plan was, and still is, to make bowling NASCAR, to make bowling cool. They hired Steve Miller as president and CEO of the PBA. He's known to be a loud, profane, swaggering, and, and very charismatic. His catchphrase is, either we're in this together or you can kiss my ass. Well, hey, is that... You know what? Are those options? What about if we get a fucking dick to be CEO? Are those fake options? Hey, how about this? Uh, we're working together. You can go fuck yourself, you animal. Okay. I'm the CEO of shit fuck company. Okay. Why don't you go fuck you? All right. We've had, we're good. Hey, welcome to, to Douchebag Incorporated. And are you on my team, or are you going to fuck yourself nine ways? You run a place called Douchebag Incorporated? I'm the CEO of Douchebag Incorporated. Well, how about you be on my team, no. or you go shit in your mouth? Okay, I'm going to have to say that I wish I had this whole conversation back. All right, well, the interview's over. Uh, Did it start? You are hired. Oh, no, I don't want the fucking job. Hey, either you're on the team, or you can suck your own dick. I'll take it. I'm the CEO. That was stupid. Honey, something really crazy happened. Yeah, I work for bowling now. I said no, and I didn't even think it was an interview. 
I, if I, he doesn't hire me, then um, I have to suck my own dick. I guess it's legal. Hey, are you on the phone? No. You're either off the phone or you're going and you're fucking an animal. I mean, I think he's going to have me have sex with a goat. I'll call you in a bit. Their ultimate bowler did come along. His name, Pete Weber. Ah, I knew it. He was 39 when Peters and friends bought the PBA. He spent the 80s and 90s constantly getting in trouble with the PBA because of his drinking and cocaine problems. <laughs> See, right there, that's a ratings grabber. <laughs> bowling on cocaine. Coke I can't think bowling. of Why would you ever go bowling on cocaine? <laughs> I mean, the worst. Uh... Okay, but now he was exactly what they wanted. When he missed a perfect game in the, 2000, in the 2001 tournament by a single pin, he crawled into a fetal position on the floor and started squealing like a pig. <laughs> <laughs> this got him and bowling on SportsCenter. Yeah. Later that year, he unveiled his signature move, quote, a violent karate-like hand gesture called the crotch chop. Uh, yeah, right? Where he like sort of he angrily pounds both sides. Points at, yeah. his, at his yeah. dick. Aggressive. Pro bowling had a bad boy. Chris Peters loved it. He told the LA Times, this show isn't so much about bowling as it is combat. It's the victor versus the vanquished. Perfect. Hey, so it's about the sport. Yeah, so listen, I'm a fucking nerd who got lucky uh, with Microsoft, and now I'm really rich, but I don't know dick about the world. Bowling's wrestling. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Bowling is wrestling. <laughs> it's about the victor and the vanquished. What are you talking about? Ah, I'm bowling. A, I'm a nerd. I'm talking about bowling. He also revealed the long-term goal was to build up the PBA and sell it for $70 million. So, literally, I mean, he's just, like, inflating his stock as much as he can quickly. That's what happens. But that's what happens when people work at a fucking company and right. make a bunch of money. Then they think they can do it all X's over the X's and O's. And they're yeah. ju he's just like, whatever it takes to get people to buy it for a second and then I'll sell it. But bowling wasn't becoming more popular. Membership in the U.S. Bowling Congress continued to drop as bowling became less popular. It declined 36% from 2000 to 2010. In 2007, the L.A. Times wrote a story about the life of the not-top pro bowlers on the tour, the middle guys. Mm. Motel 6 was now the official lodging partner of the PBA. Oof. If they hate it so much, they should strike. Pro bowlers. I'll be in the car. Say a prayer. Pro bowlers would share rooms at motels two or three to a room. Oh, God. First place jackpots were slashed from 40000 to 25000 and then to 15000 Oh, God. Major tournaments were now being held in places like Cheektowaga, New York, and Trustville, Alabama. Trust us, it sucks. The bowlers would carpool across the country. Oh, God. At a tournament in Fountain Valley, California, 12 guys chipped in to rent a house. Ah, oh, what? That's so weird. See you out there. I hate you. <laughs> Good night. Weird, weird, weird sharing a twin bed with you, but, you know, sure. I get it. we got to save money. Yeah, save, save money. money. Save money. Focus on the game. Save money. The average bowler was spending five months on the road a year and earning around 75000 before expenses. So that's, <laughs> that's terrible. Not good. Although the biggest names still make a lot, up to 300000 During the offseason, the middle of the pack guys... They make uh, trade show appearances, and they train for the year. 
In 2007, there were 58 pro bowlers on tour, all trying to make the Tournament of Champions in Uncasaville, Connecticut. What? <laughs> Uncasaville? U-N-C-A-S-V-I-L-L. Uncasville? Uncasville? Whatever. Uncasville? Sounds like a Willy Wonka laboratory. Then the housing crisis hit, and bowling got hit hard as the economy tanked. There were fewer tours, fewer events. Live TV broadcasts dropped. In 2009, the only championship was aired live on ESPN. The rest were taped. In 2010, after sinking millions into the PBA to get it going, Chris Peters scaled back his involvement. Then in 2012, for the first time, the PBA World Championships did not air live. They were taped. In the 2012 PBA season, Sean Rash was at the top of the list making $248,000. Considering that in the 1960s, top bowlers made twice as much as top football stars, that's not really good. Today, the top bowler makes less than an NFL's minimum base salary of $375,000. In 1982, the bowler ranked 20th on the PBA's money list made $51,000. Today, 20th ranked bowler makes $26,000. Jeez, I mean... (laughs) Maybe it's time to find out about other sports. <laughs> maybe you do bowling for fun? Yeah. Maybe um, it's like not a fun. Thursday? Yeah, and yeah. you get a job. Expenses include all travel and a forty dollar entry for tournament four hundred dollar entry for tournaments. So they're not making any They're not making dick. Yeah. Many bowlers now have second jobs during the off season. Tom Hess, who was the PBA's Midwest player of the year in two thousand eleven, delivers sod for a living. Wow. He pulls in about 24K a year from bowling. But the time put in to sharpen your skills so you can be, make the cut is insane. One bowler who would not give up his name said he practiced six hours a day, every day, for 10 years before he was able to join the PBA. Wow. <laughs> why? Why? I mean, why? You, why? 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 Six hours a day. Yeah. For 10 years Why? every day. I mean, I know he you like it. He wanted it. He wanted yeah, it. Yeah, but wanted what? He wanted it. Well, he didn't want a girlfriend. Yeah, clearly. The only holes he needs are in the ball. A lot of pro bowlers think bowling is not popular now because bowling is getting easier. With technology and better balls, etc., people don't think it's as hard as they used to. I have bad news for those people. <laughs> That is not why. In 1968, there were 905 perfect games. In 1999, there were 34,470. Well, I guess you can't argue with those numbers. (laughs) Other ex-pro bowlers blame video games and the internet. And those who may have become pro bowlers before aren't thrilled by the idea of being on the road for 36 weeks to not make much money. So they just bowl in local leagues. Peter Weber is still a pro. He has retired from the, he's retired the crotch chop. He is also the son of 60s great Dick Weber, and he is called by many an action bowler. He's still Negatively. an action bowler. Negatively. Negatively, yeah. Action bowling also faded as the pro bowling did. Some still kick around and try to make a few bucks. Rocky Salimo was around during the heyday, and he tells endless stories about it, but today he drives a limo for his brother. Ugh. Quote, right now I'm back to being a nobody, and that's exactly where you want to be as an action bowler. Uh, Never give up the dream. Does my life suck? Then I am right where I want to be. Uh, you look at me and you see nobody, and then I take you for 40 fucking dollars. Do I look like a loser? You've walked right into my trap. <laughs> You're right. I am a piece of shit. You want to bowl a game of bowling? Come on. 
Can I play? Can I play you my favorite Pete Weber clip? Oh, you actually have a Pete Weber clip? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. If you got it, want me to finish this? In in 2012, the New York Times found Ricky Salimo in a bowling alley bowling against two younger guys for a hundred dollars. Wow. He's still at it. <sighs> yeah. That hurts. You got you got a Peter clip? Yeah. Do you want me to this keep going? Is, uh, no, let me play this. This is this, this is when. Well, would you rather me wait? No, go ahead. This is when he 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 does something great in bowling, and uh, and he's celebrating, and he says he kind of he just his enthusiasm takes over. Yeah. And he shouts, "Who do you think you are? I am." It's just terrific. <laughs> Is that his catchphrase, or did he no, just no? He just he, fucked he, that up. He's trying. He's trying to say like, "Who do you think you are? I'm Pete Weber." But he just oh. gets so caught up that he just goes, "Who do you think you are? I am." <laughs> <laughs> they say that that is who Bill Murray's character in Kingpin is based on. A, a lot of this, if you read what I was. A lot of it is kingpinish. The guy getting yeah. his hands yeah, smashed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like they yeah. clearly took these yeah. stories. The conning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but maybe the most important thing is bully became less popular due to the loss of income of blue collar workers. As robots and globalization have come, blue collar workers have been unable to afford bowling. Oh. The ten pin Henry VIII's plan is coming to fruition. The ten pin journal, a local Milwaukee bowling magazine. <laughs> Uh, uh. Should we go national? No! No, we're not going national. This is a goddamn bowling magazine this about is... the greater Milwaukee area. Those people in New York aren't going to be able to understand what we're talking about, okay? That's the problem. They're going to read this. It's going to sound like gobbledygook because we're still attached to the heart of the sport. <laughs> Get... Now hand me my hand so I can bowl. Tell me the story again about the 2007 at the Miller's, the Miller Park. So there I was, packed stadium. How many? Packed stadium. They say somewhere between two to five hundred thousand. <laughs> parking. You can't even park. The whole place is a goddamn parking lot. Yeah. There I am, tenth frame. Yeah. I got to do a turkey to win it. That's oh, tree strikes, gee, right? I know. You don't tree strikes that, yeah. in this. Right. Tree strikes at Miller Park that day. You're in. Okay? Yeah. All right? First day in Miller Park ever where tree strikes is a good thing. 600,000 people, yeah. between 600,000 and a million people there oh. watching. People on rafters. Oh. Climbing over each other to watch. Oh. I pick it up. Right. I, I ball another, another strike. Three strikes. Won it. Everybody there, confetti. I got uh-huh. over twenty billion dollars, oh. and there was between two to seven million people there. Biggest day, unbelievable. Oh. Gee, are you gonna finish that cheese? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna oh. finish that. Oh, sorry. What? I look crazy. All right. <sighs> so my life's true. The Ten Pin Journal, a local Milwaukee bowling magazine, said, <coughs> "Quote: 
Factories then began to close and factory leagues began to diminish. The demise of bowling almost exactly follows the demise of unions and the health of the blue-collar working class. What I'm saying, in conclusion, is as go bowling, so goes America. It is true. Bowling might be our bees. You know what bowling is? It's plankton. Bowling is plankton. I've always said that. I will never forget, like, the feel. Because when I lived, when I was like a kid, I would walk down, I would go to a place called Brown Deer Lanes. And I mean, it was, it really was so big in Milwaukee. Like, there was so little to do. And it had the, like, it had a cigarette vending machine that would take quarters that I could, like, sneak and buy cigarettes from. Yeah. I mean, my buddies, we would just sit there. I mean, probably like, 14 years old we would just be smoking like marlboro reds just like bowling from like two to eight just like put in a good day just like we were blue collar workers but it is it really is sad that that it is attached to something like that because that is true like even when you were reading that king henry the eighth uh ideology i mean the idea that you it it is based on recreation and recreation is something you have to be able to afford financially right. and time-wise. And the idea is now that people can afford recreation so much less than they used to. Yeah, they, they, I mean, NASCAR has also plummeted at the same time. It's right. not a coincidence no. that NASCAR has died. People are like, no, it's because of the stars in NASCAR. No, it's not. It's because people can't afford to go to NASCAR. But is there something It's just so, yeah. What, what is it, midnight? <laughs> How long have we it's been here? Uh, we've been here for a long time. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Thursday. Oh, my God. All right. Well, um, yeah. Well, we signed balls. We cars. Signed balls. Cars. Go car balls. Car balls. Like the little things, the nutsack that. Uh, go ahead. Stop it. <laughs> hey there, people listening to the dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I listen. I have a new podcast called "We're Here to Help" that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't. But we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it. But either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.